World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello, and welcome to this episode of a World of Work podcast. I've got a really exciting conversation lined up today. It's something I'm really looking forward to um, talking about and to exploring. We've got a great guest. We're going to be speaking to Zenami today, and, and we're going to be looking a little bit at organizational change and trying to think about some some new ways to think about organizational change and some new ways, I, I guess, maybe to think a little bit more about what our organizations are like. Um, so, Zena, before we get into that conversation, would you be able to introduce yourself to the audience and say a little bit about yourself and your background? Yes. Yes, of course, James. Hi, I'm uh, Zena, and um, I've been in organizational development now, the field of organizational development, for about 30 years. Um, and I actually started um, my career in the police. So it was uh, working with senior leaders in the place. Um, And I do systemic constellation work. And um, I also do, um, I'm very interested in performing arts. That's lovely. And I mean, you've done a lot of interesting things in in your career and and had one of these lovely nonlinear career paths that that we've spoken about. I should say to the audience, we've had a a couple of hours conversation in, in the past, which is really great and and I love the sort of insight and um, sort of that intersectionality that comes from people who've had nonlinear career paths and, and pursued interesting things so, so that's really really cool um one of the things that, that struck me in our earlier conversations was your approach to organizational change and some of the work that you're doing at the moment in terms of trying to find some of the root causes of behaviors in organizations and some of the things that have led to organizations being and, and feeling as they do at the moment, and then perhaps looking to address some of those. Could you say a little bit more about that and, and the role of trauma in organizational history? Um, well, I, I mean, I, I started doing um, very large change projects and um, kind of the, I would have said the late 90s, and and then we were very much kind of around change management and doing kind of you know what models are we going to use for change management you know and following those models and so on and um and to a degree they were really powerful at the time um i remember a, a, a particular um client that i was working with a global client and we i was working with um some stanford um university materials which were amazing materials I mean really leading edge materials and people kind of lapped them up and thought they were fantastic but I suppose as life kind of goes on you really you kind of got and you've got some scope to kind of look back on these things you realize that and I realized that they kind of they were great in that moment but in terms of the sustainability of it and and really did you know, there may have been some changes, but was there really any transformation? And I suppose the more you get into change, then you hit transformation. And and that was kind of down the rabbit hole for me into the transformation. Because why why was it that, you know, you used all these tools and, and you know, they worked to it up to a level, but they didn't necessarily get you where you wanted to be. And so that's where I kind of my fascination started with this in terms of what what what's stopping the, the organizations, the leaders, whatever, the employees, what's stopping them from kind of 
um, taking that leap, if you like, into in, into the unknown. And um, as part of that, I started to um, look at my own um, relationship with change and, and kind of go, OK, yeah, I, I like change. It, obviously, it was a field that I loved working in. But were they, you know, did I really understand it? Did I really understand kind of the inner world of, 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 of the transitions that we go through? And through kind of ma- many different things that I started to explore, um, I, through the actual performing arts world, interestingly, I came across um, systemic constellation work. And it was mentioned to me, first of all, and I was kind of, oh, yes, that sounds very interesting. And, and it sounded a little bit, little bit weird, to be honest with you, James. It was a bit weird at first. I was like, what's this stuff now? Um, but I am a bit weird myself. <laughs> so I was like, OK, go on, I'll have a, I'll have a look at this and see what this is. Um, and this kind of came on the back of me doing a one woman show, which was about transformation. Um, it was much more about personal transformation and so on. And actually, as part of that show, I started to look into my own ancestral history. It was kind of, you know, who are you? It was the the the, the show was based on Augustus Boal's um, Theatre of the Oppressed. So it was it was kind of taking the audience with you on the journey, involving the audience. And it was through that process, really, that I ended up exploring eventually systemic constellations. Um, originally with with the likes of, of kind of Bert Hellinger's work and then into all sorts of, of different areas. Um, and, 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 and another guy who, you know, I've heard a lot about and I studied with a lot of people who studied with him was Franz Rupert as well. And that's when, the, if you like, I was introduced to this idea of trauma. First of all, it was obviously personal trauma and ancestral trauma that kind of you know comes down generations transgenerational trauma but what I also discovered was looking back over my organizational career um, that in the organizations I was I'd worked in I'd never ever factored in this idea of of the traumas the previous traumas in the system if you like in the organizational system that may have been unresolved so I was very much kind of working in, in the moment, really, um, in the past in terms of kind of, you know, the actual change now. So if you like, almost like could been could be the potential trauma. And, you know, even trying to get an organisation to recognise that was was really difficult, that we need to do this well, that if people leave, they must leave well, um, you know, for, for, for everybody concerned, for both for the people staying and for the people going. So that's kind of where I, I landed, really. It was like I couldn't even I could. It was hard to get organisations to recognise in the moment that this could be if, if we get this wrong. And I, I personally have been involved in change that has been traumatic, that has triggered trauma in people um, and not fully understood it. Um, you know, going back kind of 20 years. But once I realised and named it, you know, you can call it trauma, you can call it disruptive events in the system. I then started to work with it much more consciously and bring that to, I suppose, leaders in, in organisations so that they started to understand what trauma is. Because I think we really don't understand what it is from an organisational perspective. 
Yeah, that's brilliant. And, and you know, there, there's so much, so much really interesting stuff in there. And I love, uh, as I said earlier, I love that um, sort of intersectional, interdisciplinary approach. And, and and I think so many interesting ideas come from when we combine different disciplines and a sort of step between them. And, and I think the arts and, and um, other areas have a lot to offer in the world of change. So I think that's, that's fascinating. Um, <clears throat> as I said, you know, there's so much in there. One of the things that I think is a really interesting concept that underpins a lot of this is the idea that events in the past and the systems that we exist within affect us and affect our behaviors and ways of doing and ways of feeling. Um, and my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that these sort of intergenerational or, or cultural events that, that shape future generations can exist at, at a societal level, they can exist in a familial level, they can exist in an organizational level. Is that fair? And, and could you say a little bit about maybe how some of those events bring themselves forward in time? You know, how does something that happened, say, 60 years ago, make its way to the present and affect some of the ways that we think and act and believe and feel? Well, how, how it tends to, I mean, we, there, there, there are studies on this now and, and there's lots of, which is fantastic, um, because, you know, when we're working with it in the field and we talk about it as the field, um, you know, because it's like the, the field of inquiry, the field of potential and what's going on, you tend to kind of um, feel it through a felt sense. So, you know, I've, I I didn't understand it at the time, but I've always had the capacity to, to actually, when I walk into an organisation or I meet a team of people, um, or even if I meet an individual, I can actually pick it up through my felt sense. So it's a much deeper sense, the felt sense. And that's how we, that's where we tend to hold a lot of our stuff. But now we've got lots of research in epigenetics and, and so on so that kind of talks about how it, how it kind of happens in transgenerational um, trauma. From my point of view, what, what, I, what my experience has been is that when a trauma occurs, whatever that trauma may be, um, we go into a survival mode. And therefore, then we, we create, a, a, if you like, a different pattern. You know, so it's almost like we the, the pattern slight, slight the, the pattern of the way that we do things, our behaviour, the way that we look at the world, so on, suddenly shifts perspective. We shift perspective on it, and the pattern changes. And as a result, we, if we're not careful, if we don't go at some point to revisit back that trauma, to in, in order to integrate it fully in ourselves. What then happens is that pattern gets continued down the line, if you like, in terms of if that could be um, from mother to child, or it could even be from if like if you're in a, a chief executive role, it, if the chief exec before you had uh, a, a traumatic incident that they had to deal with that wasn't integrated fully back into the system, and I'll explain a little bit about that. If you like, whoever comes in after that person it's already ingrained in the role itself. It's become part of its history yeah. and it's become part of its story. So if you like that, we, so these, we then start to notice that, and this is why we need, when we're working systemically, we're looking at the patterns and seeing if these patterns are patterns that um, are resourceful and healthy or patterns that actually are limiting and, and are based on, unresolved disruptive events that we perhaps need to go back and revisit um so you know i think people can say well it's kind of in ourselves and in a way it is so they've proven for instance that if you if 
the mother has a trauma while she's carrying a child, that trauma gets passed to the child straight away. The child is in the trauma with the mother. And, and that's the sort of thing that we, we still, in the public domain, we still don't fully understand. We, I think we kind of, it makes sense to us, but we don't truly kind of embrace and embody it in terms of what do we need to change. And that's the same for a place as well. You know, I, I mean, I've worked in, I, I've worked in, um, in places as well, um, where you know, so for instance, in councils where there's been trauma in the in in the society, and and um, and they, they'll think, well, you know, those people are dead now, those people have gone now. There isn't, you know, it's in the past, and it's like actually it isn't because it's still living if it's not if it's unresolved trauma, as in like if the truth hasn't emerged, if the secret's still around it. You know, if the behaviour has changed as a result of it, and it's not it's been put back to health, um, and this, and so this is why it's so important that that we un- understand um, trauma in a, a, as a, as societies. We need to really understand it. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and and I'm quite a sort of visual thinker myself, and and the way I think about things is quite visual, and and the way that that you talked about traumatic events and and their impacts. Uh, on the patterns, in my mind, it, it drew to life a sort of an image of, you know, a, a sort of a linear progression towards something that is uh, almost like an expected outcome. And as something's progressing, you know, in that direction, something comes in and maybe hits it from the side. And that's the traumatic event. And it knocks it off that that sort of, uh, you know, trajectory or direction that it's on, meaning that that it, it, it then needs to, to recompass itself. Uh, whatever this system is or individual or society or organization is sort of recompass itself and it can kind of get back to where it was or it can diverge into a, a different different pattern is that a reasonable analogy to you? yeah it is and i and i think we forget i think we talk about surviving in a really positive way and of course it's, it is it's a really positive part of being a human in terms of being able to survive something but but what we forget is survival is is a short-term strategy so it, it isn't, you know, we, what we need to be thinking about is thriving. We need to think about health and how do we thrive, not just survive. Because survival is, is literally just kind of treading water. We're not necessarily moving forward. We're just keeping our head above the water, if you think about it that way. We're not actually swimming to the other side and getting out of the water. And if you yeah. think if you think about the pandemic, this is where kind of the situation we're in now, you know, we're, we're all still in survival zone. Oh, absolutely, and, and so. it's exhausting, isn't it? Right. It I mean, is. you can see see it everywhere, and that that's a great thing. And uh, sorry, it's not a great thing. It, it's a great thing to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, if we think then about you know these traumatic events that happen to us, it feels like we do get through them, and we get through them by going into a survival mode, as, as you're talking about, and and that involves, I I would um, posit changes to ourselves, changes to our behaviours, changes to our beliefs, changes to our interactions presumably changes to our physiology, all these things change, you know, our yes. chemical balance changes, all that stuff changes. And yeah. and that serves us presumably in that moment. And I guess the, the question is then, how do we get back to, to where we should be to that thriving place, assuming we were thriving already? Mm-hmm. And, and I guess that, that journey of moving from that, um, you know, defensive state, protective state, back to that thriving state must be a complex journey. Is that something that you experience yeah it can be I think I think that it often takes a lot of courage 
Mm. Um, because what we have to do is we, you know, we don't want to go back into the trauma, if you like, mm. but we do want to kind of um, explore the experience outside the trauma. So we, so we've gone through that period of survival, you know, and now it's about, okay, what do we need to learn from, from that? What, what was the experience and how's it changed us? Um, because sometimes what happens is we carry on regardless and we change our beliefs and then we forget, we forget where those beliefs have emerged from. And so unconscious as well, we can stay in the victim space, you know, instead of actually putting ourselves back to feeling back in our power. Because when we have experienced a trauma, it, it's, it, it renders us powerless in that moment. And that's often where the survivor self kind of takes over um, in order to be able to basically carry on, <laughs> carry on as normal. But that's, that should only be a short term strategy until we get back to an, an equilibrium, you know, a good, a good place. Um, but often the work is never done. Because, you know, we kind of just carry on. And we carry on in that survival place. And if you think about kind of something that maybe that's happened in the past, you know, so there's been lots of research, for instance, on PTSD and war and, you know, and the kind of, you know, men coming back from war um, and being severely affected by what they've seen and, and either shutting it down or, um, or kind of, you know, seriously changing the way they view the world. But, while we're in survival zone we're not using our full resources so if you like it, it renders you you know uh, with a lack of resources uh, or certainly your full capacity your full resources and what they've just kind of discovered is that because if you like the men came back you know with with um beyond their capacity to deal with that with some of the things that they saw they then couldn't fully resource the family so, you know, so therefore, you know, they weren't fully present and engaged in family life. They had to live this kind of slightly disassociated life. And then we've normalized that. We've normalized. It. And that so that goes to the next generation. And you think, well, my father was like that. So my husband might be like that. It's like this just passing down from generations as norming. Well, that's the yeah. kind of normal behavior. And it's like, well, actually, it isn't. You know, that's as a result of trauma. Yeah, and and you know that that whole norming process, I believe, is, is fascinating. And and I think that um, as a personal view, I think one of the the great strengths of humanity, but also one of its downfalls, is its ability to normalize pretty much anything. I think we are, in in, in so many ways, almost you know blank vessels. We can just grow and expect and attenuate and acclimatize to all kinds of different things, and that's wonderful. But but we are these vessels that are filled up by our experiences through life, at least in, in my imagining of this. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that ability to, to normalize it is probably really important when we look at the, this intergeneralization um, or, you know, passing through time in organizations of things like trauma. You know, in organizations, we will understand the rules that lead to success or understand the rules that lead to safety in an organization. And, and these, in my experience, many of these rules are unspoken. They're unacknowledged. They're underneath the surface, but we observe them and, and we, um, we, we, you know, we, we let them seep into us and we change our behaviors so that we fit into that context. Mm. Um, so, so I, I guess, I guess one thing that's in my mind is when we talk about things like being a first mover, right? It's really hard 
to potentially become aware of all these invisible pressures on us, that sort of hegemony of the cultures that we're in, and to then choose to say, well, this isn't for me, or I, I want to acknowledge these things and be something else. So I think that sometimes we see individuals doing that as a way to try and break and change some of these things. And I think that's a hugely, um, hugely difficult thing to do. Um, but another way that I think some of these changes occur that, that you've spoken about is going back to explore some of the trauma that takes place in organizations. I guess that's where I'd like to go and explore next to you is what are some types of things that are moments of trauma in organizations? And then, you know, once we, we know what some of these are, if we identify them in the past in our organizations, how might we be able to to sort of tread back through that altered trajectory that we have and, and explore it and and navigate what's serving us well and what isn't and, and what really works in our context and get back on that that path of thriving that the organization hopefully was on at some point. Or at mm. least, you know, even if it starts off on, on a bad foot and goes somewhere else, when organizations are created, I'm sure the majority of them are created with an intent of positivity, even if it goes wrong quickly. Mm. And I, I mean, you could look at this from the individual point of view. And if, we, if you're looking at it from an individual point of view, one a great place to start looking is looking at your painful endings so you know when we look at you know i mean i can think of times in my career when i've had painful endings and you know painful endings of contracts when i've been a consultant or painful endings of of you know jobs if you like leaving organizations where it's felt painful um, I mean, one would expect some grief anyway when, when there's a leaving, but when it's been painful and when, when if you like, when you revisit it, it's the, you can still feel the resonance of that. You know, maybe you're still holding a grudge against an old, an old manager or you, you know, or an organisation. So we've we've all kind of had those experiences, particularly when, particularly when you get to a certain age, you've had a, quite a few. <laughs> so... So it's it's useful to actually as an individual to kind of look back over those places, um, and actually and 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 to kind of, you know, what one of the things that we can do in this work is to have a conversation with the organisation, not literally, you know. So I'm not suggesting we all go back and we say there's something I want to talk to you about, um, <laughs> but but um, but what we can do is we can we can kind of create. A process where we can have a conversation with with that system if you like and find out what wisdom it's got to to bring to us what we have to learn from that you know and things that perhaps have been left unsaid at the time because again this is what happens in the moment we don't always have our voice ready to say what needs to be said in order to leave well um maybe there's some confusion about the leaving maybe this 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 this, the feelings are too strong at the time so we're too kind of caught in it but but as it's even to this day it's useful to kind of go back over those events and have that conversation with those organizations kind of um metaphorically you know what I mean so so it's so powerful it's such a powerful thing to do because you'll find that the organ the system has something to tell you as well maybe you know so typical examples might be things like you know you gave too much or you stayed too long um you know and though so so some of those kind of statements are really useful to know 
because in within the system itself we often forget where we're in relationship with a whole system it's not just kind of the personalities of the people that we work with it's the whole system we, we've been drawn into that we've taken the role in that we've contributed to and so on so that's kind of from an individual perspective always useful to do um from an organizational point of view it's good it, the types of trauma that, certainly that i've experienced in organizations um I mean, I've experienced it where people have died, um, but but it's not been processed well as an organisation in terms of how it's left, you know, and often after sometimes what you can find is after that, people just leave, um, you know, because if it's not dealt with well, but it's still there, even though the people and the person who died and the people around that time may have left, that that energy is still in the system until it's actually found its way to being seen and um, honoured, if you like, within the system to say this actually happened. This was an event as part of the system's history. So if you think about it that way, um, mergers and acquisitions are classic examples of trauma that we really don't recognise. You know, I've, I've worked within so many mergers where, you know, the, the leaders of the people who were the acquirers, if you like, the acquiring organisation, um, seem to believe that um, it's going to be better for the people who they've acquired. You know, oh well, they, they'll this better. Um, they'll have more career opportunities. They'll have um, more more uh, opportunities for money. Um, the terms and conditions are better. And it's like you are totally misunderstanding what it's like for those people who have been part of a system that's now coming to an end and we forget that we think well no no we're going to keep the brand over the door we're going to keep that it's like no it's it's coming to an end you know in terms of that period of time is coming to an end and how do we transition people um and and you know what happens in that transition and it's it's deep you know i mean if we really go in deep into some of the mergers and acquisitions um, you know, we we still have a very colonial view of how we do that. You know, this is taking over, this is overpowering, um, and and have and and don't realise what the experience is like for the individuals. So that, that I've dealt with a lot of those, um, where you know, and and in terms of if you, I don't know whether you're asking this, James, but how do you do that? A lot of it is just literally doing a timeline and allowing people to walk through that timeline literally and and feel what it felt like in that moment so you know it, it, in order to be able to express what needed to, to be expressed um at that time um so when i've done work with with kind of mergers and acquisitions it's a lot of it is helping the um the businesses if you like to tell their story of what happened how it was founded, who the founder was, why it was founded, what its story is. Um, those things are really important in terms of um, helping people kind of embody the experience of those changes, potentially traumas. Um, yeah. Because a lot of leaders will say, oh, that's in the past. People really do need to move on. <laughs> and it's like, that's dishonoring. Um, and actually, it's arrogant as well, because there's this belief that kind of, there's, a, there's a sense of, well, I'm here now, so it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> and it's like yeah. Yeah. you're dismissing 
Yeah, you know, I, I've seen I've seen that exact situation played out um, with the sort of semi-colonial militaristic language, and I've seen it five, six, eight years down the line, where there are still factions existing within you know merged organizations, and 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 you can see the divides, and you can feel that stuff in an organization, the resentment, the sense of uh, control of pressure of or oh, subjugation to some extent all that stuff exists in there so if in a if in a, a situation like that where you had you know a merger and then maybe different groups in there we we can tell the story at an organization level about the history of our organization and where it gets to if you were to bring if you had these two sort of polarized groups in uh, an organization that that had been merged and 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 you know say you had two teams that were hammered together what would the process be like if exploring that with them? Would you, would you get people in a room and tell the story of a merger? Would you get people together and tell the story of their careers? How would you how would you create that permissibility for people to openly share and, and acknowledge what really happened and how they really felt? And how does that how does that play out? Well, I think the most important thing is creating a safe container. You know, and mm-hmm. I mean, I use the word safe um, lightly because. It isn't safe. Yeah. It's <laughs> a really vulnerable it's, thing. It's scary, yes, it's, it? so so actually kind of saying we're going to create this safe place um, in, in a way it doesn't exist. However, what we can do is create a container for it. So so one of the things that um, that that I would that I have done with you know there was this one particular merger I was involved in, and there was actually three. There was a, a company actually taking over two businesses and those businesses had been in competition with each other as well so you know you can imagine the kind of the energy that was that was there um but they they really struggled to integrate really to to, to integrate the whole process and the cultures they they really struggled with it which is why why i kind of um, was asked to come in um and you know, first of all, is it's it's get it, it it's getting them to trust me. So you as a consultant, you you know, they have to be able to trust you. You you know, you you've got to understand that if you've been called in, the system's called you in. Not the not the leader. The system has said we need help here, because you know, they, 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 we're stuck. You know, we can't move forward and and we're struggling. Um, so it's about honouring that first and foremost, that you're not working for the the, the leader, you're working for the system. Um, and that's often a big change for people in, to think about for, as a coach and as a consultant, that you're not, you're not, you're working on behalf of the system, not, not the individuals brought you in. So your loyalty is to the system, if you like. And, and, you know, respect to the fact that, you, that clearly the, and a, a system will always try and work towards health it always wants to get back to health so it will constantly um, reach and and attract people to create that health um so so the first thing is to get them to trust me um so it's about kind of you know allowing them to tell their story to me individually so i i on this particular one i took the three senior teams and um if you like, took them all individually and ha- had a conversation with them, basically, you know, what happened? Tell me your story. And so they, they told me their, their story initially. Um, but what uh, what then happened was was to actually set up something where they all felt um, 
by this stage trusting me to put to take them through a process as a collective and one of the one of the things that we that I did was to actually um I used objects so I, I have like a huge tub of different objects and asked them to tell the to 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 basically place themselves and their team and their organization and tell the story of the organization tell you know and they did it as a, as a team and they did it as each team did it and we did it in say three separate rooms and then we walked each group walked into each different room that represented that organization and and so and they are and those people then told their story this is us this is who we are this is where we came from you know this these are our connections the, the, you know the, this is um this is how we work this is what our culture looks like these are our values this is what we care about you know so and and and, and literally just to listen yeah just and, and with that with that what you know those activities are, are wonderful i've never actually done that sort of um you know prop supported um creative activity but but i've i've done things with drawing and and i've seen benefits of some of this when when you're doing those exercises in these rooms what do you think the balance is between the teams that are doing this processing and exploring for themselves is it is it like a is it is it a revealing is it a discovery what's what's that balance and then what's the balance then with the storytelling i mean how does that how does telling that um lead to an unburdening or or a clarification in those individuals as well it feels to me I've been inarticulate here. It feels to me that those two constituent elements are probably important here. One, the processing, the, the revealing, and two, the communicating and sharing with others. Do you think that feels that those... Yeah, I think, well, right? I think if you think about it, it, it you know, if you if you think about what happens in in a, in a death, mm-hmm. and, and when we go to someone's funeral, we tell stories about that person. It's, it's part of the grieving process to tell the stories to to if you like to to tell talk about the person and yeah. what they meant to you and and it, it's it's a real honoring of the pro of, of kind of the process so it allowed those individuals particularly the individuals who were having to um take on a new organization you know be part of something new it's part it's part of the process of of saying goodbye and putting the past behind them and saying this is this is now we're leaving this now this is over so you know, so even kind of having had been able to tell their story, to show to the others what it, what, what the deeper meaning of this organisation and why they joined it. Because what we've got to remember is they didn't join, they didn't choose to join this acquiring organisation. Yeah, they they've been taken over. So you know, it's about giving them space. Um to kind of kind of get their head around that and and therefore kind of let let it go and then just even the movement of walking out of the room and putting that behind them and then going to this new place it's that movement so it's a very symbolic process that we that you know it's quite and i would say it's sacred and i don't think we use that word enough in organizations um, there are things in organisations that are sacred, um, but we don't talk about them. They're not explicit. Um, and so, you, you know, I think for me, this is sacred work because what you're doing is you're helping, you're honouring 
that organisation um, and you're honouring the people who contributed to it um, as well. And not just the people who were there then, but all the people in the past who've contributed to make it the success that it is um, yeah. up to that moment. So it's, it's, it's both really. It's, the, it's for the people who are telling the story and, it, and it's to be witnessed, to be seen and to be, you know, respected and honoured um, yeah. as well. And that sort of ceremony and ritual is are, are words that we don't use in organisations either, but, but what you're describing here feels ceremonial, it feels a, a ritual, it feels those types of things. Um, and those things do have power, even though we don't always think of them as having power. Um, I, I want to sort of broaden this out. I, that was really helpful um, and insightful in terms of drawing out how this process works and, and why, it, why it matters. I, I want to try and bring in something else that I know you, you're passionate about, and, and I want to try and weave it into this conversation. So one of the senses that I have as I get older myself and as I, um, as I you know, work with you know, more people uh, who are older and, and generally you know, worked uh, in a more experienced way, I, I wonder if as people get older they gain or they maintain more of their sort of organizational memory or cultural memory. And I wonder if they are less likely to some extent to be thrown off course by the impacts of trauma or maybe they've seen things before. And and I think potentially, you know, with that comes an ability to see, you know, back in time to past traumas and how we've overcome them and to, you know, to go slowly and to do things in a good way. And, and, and I, I think a word that you sometimes use is, um, you know, sort of elders or wisdom around elders. Uh, I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit and, and talk about the importance of the sort of elder individuals and in organizations and society, of the memories they hold, of their experiences, and of how that can be helpful in in keeping organizations or society on the right path. I know this is a bit of a curveball, big question, but I just thought I'd check it out because I'm, I'm curious about how those, those topics... Well, I, I mean, I... I got into exploring eldership when I, so I did quite a lot of work around um, the hero's journey a few years ago yeah. in leadership. Um, and, you know, kind of, and, and, and I accompany many leaders as a guide on mm-hmm. a journey that they're on, you know, so for instance, if they are on a, um, a journey of transformation, whether it's cultural transformation or, you know, dealing with a, a trauma that, or a, a, a change in the organisation, you know, there is this kind of sense of going into the unknown. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, I mean, look what's happened now, you know, with the pandemic, we're in the, un- we've we stepped into the unknown. And of course, what that can happen is we can panic instead of kind of going, okay, um, well, actually, life is all unknown. <laughs> we we step into the unknown every morning, but we don't consciously think because we set life up to to feel like it's the same from day to day to day, um, because that's what we like as human beings. But actually, you know, for me, leadership is having the capacity and the wisdom to be able to step into that unknown place and be okay with the unknown. But of course, in doing that, you have to be really tuned into your own, if you like, wisdom. And I'm not talking about a narcissistic wisdom here in terms of a wisdom, you know, through my expertise and knowledge and, and so on. I'm talking about a much more conscious wisdom that's, that's, if you like, we, you know, that 
if you like, we're part of, but we we rarely acknowledge, you know, the fact that we've come from thousands of generations. You know, we um, we're part of many many systems that have that have survived so many different things. That's wisdom. It's taking that wisdom and being able to tune into that. And for me, when when we're going into the unknown, that's what we're tuning into. You know, we're call, we're calling out, if you like to the to the to the bigger systems to say you know i'm not bigger than you i but you know i'm i'm part of this and how can i contribute and i i think in organizations you know i was around kind of in the 90s when they they got rid of lots of um management layers and and so on um and you know and and lots of people took early retirement and i think I think that was tragic now looking back. You know, as a young person, I was like, yeah, that's not a bad thing. We've <laughs> <laughs> all yeah, been yeah. there, right? Yeah, right, right. Just get out of the but now. Free it up for the rest <laughs> of us. <laughs> but, yes. but now, now I see the impact of that, James. I see the impact of that in organizations where that wisdom is missing. You know, it's, it's desperately missing in, in organizations and the organizations you know, we, we, we've, we've, we've mentioned, we've touched on a little bit is, you know, they become very narcissistic, you know, they think that they can survive on their own and that they don't need anybody else and they're not part of anything else. And it's like, no, we're, we're part of a much bigger, we're part, part of so many systems in, in lots of ways, every system. So, you know, it's that wisdom that, I, that I'm talking about and that really is missing in organisations. Um, yeah. the you know, I don't, I, I don't know whether it's partly as a result of what we've experienced with with people leaving these organisations, but we've lost that that um, ability to be able to step to, to feel grounded in the unknown and to feel assured that you know we we trust the path. We know that the um, things will emerge when they're meant to emerge. If we, you know, if we're intuitive enough to listen to to the signs that we are not arrogant enough to think that we're right, that we stay open um, to, to those things, that we em- embrace um, difference of opinions and because it's all information as part of that system. So for me, that's what, you know, that's, that's I suppose what I feel strongly that we need to bring back because it, it's, it's so missing um, and people are longing for it, really longing for, the, for wisdom um you know we we don't have to kind of see kind of you know how how the pandemic's been managed to feel you know where are the leaders where are the elders you know where are those people who who have perhaps been through traumatic difficult times um and have gained deep wisdom as a result of it and you know when we're looking at elders we are looking at, at people like nelson mandela because you know his journey was such a hero's journey he was imprisoned he had to learn about the people who'd imprisoned him you know he had to take use that time wisely so that when he came came out from prison he could create you know a a, a much more integrated society you know he, so it was like he had to somehow tune into that much that that bigger certain level of service than uh, than himself. It's fun that you've said service. I, I wrote down service a couple of minutes ago. It feels like a lot of his work is service-oriented work. Um, and, and so I think it feels like it's, it's probably really 
comfortable or comforting in a good way to be around wisdom and around the sort of eldership. And and, and if we can find these individuals or grow these individuals in organization, it could lead to a, a better sense of health in organizations, a better sense of thriving, probably more stability um, is, is my sort of sense. But it feels like it's, it's probably really hard to create space and to grow. And, and as you were speaking, I had one of those, like a, a visual image. You know, you say like you have a sock and you darn it a few times and then when does it stop being a sock, right? Like that's what a lot of our organizations are like. But when we've got long service and people who've been there and they've got that organizational memory, we might have replaced the sock with bits, but the bits have, are bigger, right? Like somebody's been there a long time, they can see it. But when we when we move to shorter and shorter tenures in organizations and people are there like two or three years or, you know, it's sort of contracted like that, we've got a sock made up of like a million little bits and no, like people don't really know the the, you know, the, the breadth of the organization and the history of the organization. And that feels intuitively unstable and, and potentially more self-serving and, and all those types of things. So how can we create space in organizations for more uh, wisdom? How can we create space for listening? How, how do we find the confidence or carve out the, the prioritization to do that in a world that feels in increasingly pace driven, um, you know, competitive, in some ways short termist. How do we how do we find that in our organization? I don't think it's for every organization, to be honest. I mean, I think I mm-hmm. think we live in a world where we don't believe that things are finite. And um, mm-hmm. I think some organizations um, will end and it's pro- it's right for them to come to an end. So I think that's the first thing I would say. You know, I think we, we, I think part of our difficulty when we're we're in consultancy and coaching is believing that we've got to rescue, we've got to save this organisation, we've, you know, um, we've got to make this right, and so on. And actually, sometimes, I think, well, not sometimes, I think all the time, we always need to hold lightly what is is to use the word you've just used, what what's in service of the greater good. And is it time for this organisation to come to an end? Is it is it is it time to come to an end? And we we often don't think about the ending that we think that we've put an awful lot of effort into the beginning of an organisation and the growth of an organisation. We never think about its end. I mean, we don't like death anyway. So, but we don't think about its end. And I think sometimes it's important to first of all think about that. And certainly, as a coach and as, as a consultant, is to actually hold that lightly. Is this you know? What am I doing here? Because the the most important thing is you mustn't be helping or rescuing an organisation. You know, you are there as a resource, and you know what what resources are be uh, it's being called are being called for. So I th- I think I think that's a really important thing to think about. But so it won't be for everyone. Um, and but but I certainly think that um, a rethink about eldership is is really going to be important in terms of where's the wisdom where's the person who's accessing the wisdom of the system where are those people you know where are those people who who kind of are are connected into the roots of the system you know because to grow to grow if you think about a tree growing to grow higher its roots grow down you know, so it's like it's, it, it doesn't kind of the roots aren't stay the same and then the tree grows because if that happens, the tree falls over. The roots have to go deeper. 
So we have to go deeper and deeper into the roots of the system. So who's there who can do that? Who understands the importance of that? Who holds those sacred things that ha- that, that, that that are part of an organisation? You know, who's connect? Who really understands the founders' driving vision? You know, not the not necessarily the one that we like to put on the wall and and say, oh, that's our vision. I mean, the deeper, you know, we you know, founders mer- um, create. And, and birth an organization or a business for a purpose, for a much deeper purpose. What's that? And it, it's always in service in some shape or form to society. And we've forgotten that. We've really forgotten it. So it won't be for everybody, this. It won't be for all organizations. And that's fine because maybe maybe now is this, you know, I think we certainly live in, in, ty- in a time of endings. Um, I certainly think there's going to be a lot more collapsing of organizations and systems. But I think if you, I mean, this is such a great opportunity, isn't it, with this hybrid working and this, this what an opportunity now to kind of go, right, let's rethink. Let's let's rethink and go back to purpose. What is it we're here to do? What was this organization founded on? What was the founder's purpose? What was it that they were trying to achieve? Um, and I think that's the place to go to. So, and I think I think at the moment people are too busy trying to kind of survive the pandemic and not thinking about how do we grow beyond this? You know, how do we get beyond it? This is such an opportunity in time to rethink organisations, rethink the culture, rethink, you know, creating healthy environments. You know, I've I've got a bit of a bugbear about kind of all this well-being stuff, and you know, in in principle, I don't obviously it's wonderful, and you know, health is fun, is is so important, but it's for me a lot of surface stuff. It's like we need to go deeper and create healthy cultures, and and um and that so it's what it'll be for those people, those leaders, who have got some vision, if you like, for for that health, for wanting that health. Yeah, I've got shared views uh, with you on on the surface approach to well-being. Um, I think that the, the picture you've painted is, is wonderful. One of the things that's been in my mind about the pandemic is that it feels like many people in many organizations are trying to go back to something. And I don't think there is a back to go to. I don't think there is a destination back there. I think that that we probably need to go forward to something else or, or, you know, reimagine what we were, but what was serving us two years ago, I don't think is the destination we should be heading to now mm. in, in my personal view. And I think, I think that's awfully scary because yeah. I think having a destination is great, but it feels like there isn't one. And I, I feel like that's a, a societal thing. What do you think about that? Well, I, I, th- I mean, what we're in is liminal space. Mm-hmm. So there is, there is such a thing between it, the gap between the past and the future. And that's yeah. the liminal space we're in. So, you know, I like to think of that as the doorway. Mm-hmm. And if you like, it's it's the space between two rooms. It's that doorway. And that's where we are right now. So everybody's, you know, maybe people trying to pull back to the old room or move forward into a new room. But actually, we're on we're in the doorway. And this is such a rich place to operate from. This is where we can be as human beings at our most creative. And but but most people are not. Um, don't understand liminal space, don't know what that feels like. They've never consciously experienced it. Um, 
and it's a place where we we see what what may be emerging and where the energy is you know to me and so what's what where, where's the energy in this so it's very much kind of using our felt sense um and and kind of getting a sense of, of, of a vision and maybe a future and a, maybe a path to follow or you know kind of a spark of interest somewhere it's how and, and I think for me that's where we should be supporting leaders right now is, is is supporting and holding that liminal space for them so that they can start to work out and just take time out to kind of reflect deeply reflect on what's what what at an intuitively um, much intuitively deeper level is being called for right now what's being called for you know because if you like you're right going back going forward and and as a society it's the same thing you know we're, we're all in survival rather than kind of thinking you know actually there were some amazing things that happened in the pandemic wasn't there that gave us energy this shared experience this feeling that we're all in this together blah 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 those are things that kind of energized us sadly fear has been brought into it and now we've got division so we're now back in survival and we're being kept in survival rather than where, where's where's the conversations around around kind of the future and and where you know how how are we using this liminal space um and and mo- most of the times we get stuck in that survival place so that's yeah I, I think you know the more we understand how to work with liminal space that's where our creativity comes life that's where the new the new stuff is bubbling away and it is there you can feel it sometimes but it, but yeah it, for, for a lot yeah. of people this they're very much kind of stuck in the fear side of it yeah and it's it's difficult and then there's so much interesting stuff in that space of emergence and space of liminality and space of creativity um but i think we might leave that for another conversation i think um in the interest of time i'm, I'm going to bring us to an end i think that's been a great conversation just before we wrap up could you uh, let people know how they could find out a little bit more about you should they wish to do so uh, yes you can so you can look at my website which is www.zenami which is all one word n-e-n-a-m-e.co.uk so you can go and have a look at the website sign up for the newsletters if you're interested um and also kind of find me on linkedin zena me on linkedin so yeah there's lots lots of stuff on on there as well okay brilliant well thank you so much Zena. it's been a pleasure chatting to you and you james thank you hi it's jane i just wanted to say thanks for listening to the whole episode if you enjoyed it if you have a question or if you just want to say hi you can find us on twitter at world of work underscore io don't forget you can also find out more about what we do including our online seminars workshops and development programs on www.worldofwork.io 